Right. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a step back from uh, what's been uh, discussed this afternoon and go back to uh, what Richard Betts and Nigel Arnell was talking, were talking about this, uh, this morning. So I'm going to talk about um, global water availability. There, was a, there were quite a few slides shown this morning with uh, various well, projections and, uh, and how the, uh, you know, the this, uh, global surface runoff would change and uh, what Nigel was showing was um, uh, in terms of water resources. So I'm going to go back to that and basically start looking, really look at the, um, the uncertainties in those particular projections and um, using uh, a climate, uh, the climateprediction.net uh, data, which I'll explain a little bit later. Um, I've just intimated that what I'm discussing here is um, what I mean by global water availability is actually um, uh, I'm just going to be really looking at surface runoff as opposed to water resources, where um, water resources, there'll be more um, information about how, you know, the human, how humans interact with water itself. So I'm just focused on that. So it's, the key messages of the talk are actually very similar to what's been um, said already today, um, especially the last two points, where what I'll show is that the um, in fact, what Richard Betts said was that the, the, the changes in uh, climate variables in temperature and precipitation as well as uh, surface runoff um, are showing strengthening signals uh, through the 21st century, um, whether positive or negative. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be showing that. And then the third one I'll be explaining as well, that there's a stronger consensus, as in if you look at uh, many multiple models or multiple, um, uh, uh, multiple clim uh, climate uh, perturbed uh, parameter ensembles, which I'll be explaining later, again, um, they're showing the same direction of change. Again, this was mentioned earlier, uh, earlier today. The main thing that I'm probably going to say as well is, um, and I'm going to go back to that, is that the, by using um, large ensembles, that you can, there's some use to that information in that it does highlight where the uncertainties lie. So I'll, those three points will be explained later on in the talk. So I keep on mentioning, um, or we've been t talking about uncertainty a lot today. And what I'm going to be talking about is a specific type of uncertainty. Um, David Sainforth um, uh, uh, produced a paper in 2007, and he basically separated them roughly to those particular type of uncertainties. Uh, there's the forcing uncertainty, which is basically um, tries to capture the, uh, 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 the uh, external forces which, are, which basically affect the climate systems. For example, uh, 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 the uh, global emissions uh, from, from anthrop anthropogenic emissions, and also maybe volcanic, volcanic eruptions and things like that. And then there's the initial conditions where basically we don't, that tries to uh, capture the idea that um, we will probably never know the exact initial conditions that a model will actually uh, start from. And then there's the model imperfection, which um, where in this talk I'll be concentrating on model uncertainty, where basically what I mean by that is that the, it's basically not being able to um, know the 
how to simp because uh, global climate models are simplifications of, of what actually goes on in the, in the real world. Um, there's a lot of simplification that goes on in, in terms in trying to um, model the climate, and it, within that there are various um, and those simplifications require uh, certain parameters, and and it's that kind of uncertainty in what those parameter values should be. So. In the climateprediction.net project, um, which was carried out and still being carried out here in, uh, in Oxford by, by Miles Allen's group, um, they tried to explore that, um, that uncertainty in parameters or in the simplification of uh, the climate processes um, by varying those parameters in, in what they think are uh, real or, or uh, plausible limits. And so for each, um, so, they vary, so for each uh, climate model uh, run, they change a parameter to, uh, within the, those set limits. And at the moment, um, what I'm gonna be talking about today is a subset of the, I think it's about 20,000 runs that they have so far. Um, we're talk we're, I'm going to be focused on a subset of that, a random, randomly sampled subset of that, where there's about 1,520 runs, which if you um, kind of contrast to, I think the, the comp was that about 20-odd or 14 um, uh, members. So it's, a, it's, a, it's basically the largest um, set of uh, climate model runs that, that are available to us at the moment. The model that is used is the Hadley Center Hadsey M3 model and the uh, each of the climate model runs is forced uh, uh, by historic forcing from 1920 to 2000 and then uh, future forcing scenarios from 2000 to 2079. Um, you got to, we contrast this to um, the IPCC fourth assessment report where there, there was more talk about the multi-model ensemble. So there was uh, model ensemble. So there was uh, multiple models from different centres of the world. In this one, we are talking about only one particular climate model. So uh, from the Hadley Centre. For this particular work, um, the HadCM uh, three model, we ex there's a lot. There's a lot of um, data which is actually available from climateprediction.net. And for a, if you want the information for global grid, then all that's available is a decadal seasonal means. So we've got to take that into account when um, we're trying to, to interpret the results that, that I'm showing later. So I use that information to then drive a global hydrological model. And the, the one that I used was from uh, Nigel's, uh, Nigel's um, model, uh, MacPDM, which is basically a simple global uh, water balance model. And like other, I mean, it's very, it pretty much uh, works in a similar way to, to pretty much all other uh, global hydrological models, apart from the fact that there is no rooting of the rivers or anything like that. So we, we are really just talking about the surface runoff per grid cell. So this, the model version that, we, that I use uh, ran on a daily time step and at a one degree uh, spatial resolution. So the, in that sense that the uh, Hadley Centre model output was then 
uh, downscaled it by using um, change factors and by uh, perturbing the 1961 to 1990 baseline. So if we go back to um, what we, what, what's been published so far in terms of the uh, fourth assessment report, what we have for the 21st century, you've seen this already today, but uh, I just wanted to highlight that there, there were four, the three uh, A2, A1, B, B1, uh, S-res emission scenarios. Um, there are basically about three models which show um, a, a more than four degree uh, warming. And I know that um, Richard Betzel showed us uh, some, some more with, uh, with some other uh, uh, S-res scenarios. But when we come to um, the climateprediction.net data, then out of the 1,520 models, what we have here is um, quite a number of models which are actually showing a four degree warming. So in this particular graph, I'm showing the temperature change uh, between, uh, so the temperature change from the 1961 to 1990 baseline. And as you see, uh, the, with the blue line, uh, the, the number of models, the percentage of models uh, from that 1520 rises during the, uh, during the 21st century and then drops as, as the more and more models are warming, more and more, uh, yeah, more and more models are, are warming. Now, what we're focused on is um, the, the two and a half, uh, so I'm, what I'm going to do today is basically compare the two and two and a half, well, three to three and a half uh, degree warming with the uh, four to five degree warming here. So if you have a look here, the, in the 2050s, you start getting um, uh, climate models which are showing about a, a, are showing a four degree change. And there's probably about, if you add the four to five degrees, there's probably about 10% of the models which are actually showing that change. So, and this doesn't, doesn't really vary between each of the seasons. So what are the impacts in terms of uh, surface runoff and uh, precipitation? I thought I'd look at the two to three degree warming first because that is the range that the um, uh, IBCC models tend to show uh, in, during the uh, mid, mid well, at, the, uh, at the end of the 21st century. And so what I have on the left-hand side is basically a, model con a map of the model consensus. What that is, is basically the number of, the percentage of models which actually agree on the di uh, direction of change. So the dark blue areas are um, where a, a large proportion of climate models which show an increase in precipitation here and the red dark red areas are where there's a large percentage of models agreeing with a decrease in precipitation. The green areas are um, basically showing zero percent. This is basically um, I put in a filter so that the changes, um, only the changes which are greater than two standard deviations from the baseline are actually shown here. So why I mean, and, and with the two standard deviations, I, I classify this as a natural variability uh, quantity. So what, what I'm, all I'm showing here are basically um, directions, 
where, where the changes are actually greater than natural variability. So there's, there's some, um, so, so, so the changes are, are, are quite large. So if we focus mainly, say, in around here, where the, uh, I'm going to talk about the Amazon and the Ganges later. So it's like around here where there's um, high agreement in positive changes in precipitation and also runoff. And also here around the Amazon where basically for D DJF or the um, Northern Hemisphere winter in the 2050s, there's actually not much of a signal um, being shown there. If I, if I contrast that to this, uh, June, July, August, uh, the summer, summer in the Northern Hemisphere, that there's a slight, slightly different um, uh, uh, result where basically, although here we still get a um, positive uh, uh, change in precipitation uh, and also runoff, there's also a, a large signal in the precipitation and uh, runoff here, which is greater than natural variability. I didn't explain the right-hand side is um, out of the number of models which are showing a two to two, between two and three degree change, I sorted the, the models and, and basically plotted the median. So here you get the, um, an idea of the magnitude of the uh, changes in runoff rather than just the consensus of um, the, model, uh, the, the, um, the model changes. So here in, um, in, uh, in the Ganges region, you basically have a, a slight increase in the, in the precipitation and, and uh, quite, quite a large increase in the, in the run runoff. Four minutes. Four minutes, okay. Um, the, so I thought I'd, I'd finally plot up the impacts at, uh, the, the uh, impacts on runoff and precipitation for the four to five degrees C. And what you find is if I try not to give you a headache by doing that, <laughs> what you find is the, the regions which are already red are becoming redder or becoming darker. And the blue regions are actually shrinking a little bit. And what you find, what we're finding in that is actually agrees with um, the the uh, results that were print, uh, printed in the fourth assessment report by Millie et al., which is basically showing exactly the similar sort of um, uh, 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 results. And rather than flicking in between the two, I thought I'll just show you what, what's happening here. The, the large swathes of green are basically um, where the, the for, for this one is that the model consensus doesn't really change. So, like for areas where there's strong consensus already. There isn't any change in the strong consensus between uh, the two to three degrees and the four to five degrees. Uh, however, there are large changes in central North America here and um, some, some changes and, and positive changes in, in, in the runoff here. So what I thought I'll do is to actually show you what that means in terms of a, a river basin and show you that so what I've plotted here is the, the difference, so looking at the two to three degrees and also the four to five degrees. And what you have here is that on the, on the, on the y-axis, the number of models which are showing a certain percentage change in runoff. So these are actually frequency distributions. And each of the colors here are representing each of the decades uh, through the 21st century. 
So what you have here in, in this particular case, in, in the uh, winter months in the north, northern hemisphere, you get um, more and more, the number of models increase um, as you go, go through um, the 21st century, as I showed earlier, earlier on here. Um, and, um, and basically, there's a where the, the signal kind of um, gets slightly stronger and the number of models um, agree, agree with, with each other more. So basically, there's a stronger model consensus and there's a, a bigger change as well. And for the four to five degrees uh, uh, world, what we're seeing there is exactly a, a very, very similar kind of um, uh, uh, pattern arising as well. So in, in essence, the 45 degree world is basically showing similar patterns to um, uh, the, the two to three degrees world, but stronger and greater model consensus. And it's a sim similar sort of thing with the Ganges. Uh, I'll not go through that. So, I've showed very, very simple examples, really, of um, basically just three, three different things. And what the, the, starting from the bottom one, that the stronger consensus in the direction of change, uh, irrespective of the, um, uh, the, the differences in, in the parameters that you use in the climateprediction.net model data. The next one is climate, the climate uh, and hydrological variables show a strengthening of the signals for the four to, uh, uh, four to five degrees C compared to two to, th two to three degrees C. And what I showed in terms of the maps is that um, there are regions where there are strong signals and strong uh, directions of change. And those, I guess, for at least for the Hadley Center model and for its, uh, and the, the way that that works, the, um, the, the level of uncertainty in those particular areas is not, is not that, 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 um, that great. However, there are swathes which are uh, of um, green areas, which are basically where it's, the signal is not actually that strong. So in essence, um, you know, the, we there's nothing that we can re actually really say about th those particular regions, apart from the fact that the level of uncertainty is pretty high. Okay. 